Hello and welcome back to another episode of the FSE Radio Podcast. Today we are joined by Professor Matthias Heinemann, who I was first introduced to as part of the bio bioenergy and metabolism course in as part of the second year chemistry program. And I thought you would be a suitable guest because of your enthusiasm for the subject and also a big project you're working on, which we will get to later on in the podcast. So welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yes, welcome. Welcome. Yes, thanks for having me. No problem. And maybe to get us started, could you tell us a bit about your educational background, what courses you've studied and where? Because as someone who has only made one of these big decisions, uh, the bachelor program, it's it's so influential. And I would love to hear how you decided what to study and where. Yeah, I studied environmental engineering at the University of Stuttgart in the south of Germany. Yeah, I have to say that every time when I had to make a decision about what to study, what to do afterwards, in fact, I had sleepless nights, many sleepless nights, because I never knew what, what to do. In fact, I was first enrolled in, in medicine, and even before the semester started, I said, no, no, it's not for me. And then there was this new study program coming up, which I just mentioned, and I felt now this is something for me, because I was always concerned about the environment and our future. Mm-hmm. So I studied this, um, um, and I found it interesting, but still I felt, uh, oh, and what I was involved with already at that time is, is, is I did my, my master thesis at a wastewater treatment plant, which is, of course, um, a facility that uses microorganisms to, to degrade uh, um, our, our liquid waste. Uh, and that fascinated me, how, how microbes actually can do that. But still, um, uh, when, once I was then finished uh, with my master's, again, sleepless nights, <laughs> uh, what should I do? Which path should I go to? Um, I actually was also looking for, for positions in industry. But at the time, there was an economic crisis, so I couldn't find the jobs that I wanted. Um, so I thought, yeah, maybe I could go for a PhD, um, which I then in the end did. This was a PhD in biochemical engineering, meaning to use microorganisms to produce products, and that I did in Aachen, also in Germany. And in fact, um, this PhD project was a pretty boring project. <laughs> But I did it, and now you can guess what happened again. Uh, again, sleepless nights. Uh, <laughs> again, was looking for jobs in industry. Couldn't find anyone that I really liked. Um, met met the professor from ETH in Zurich uh, at, at the conference, and he asked me whether I wanted to join him as, as a postdoc. And um, yeah, from there on, things had then slightly changed. Yeah, what had changed is that that I, I, I gradually fit, um, having been trained as an engineer, I gradually changed. I, in fact, I mutated into a biologist. <laughs> and then I've been in Zurich for about six years, first as a postdoc, then as a junior group leader. Um, and then from Zurich, I came to here, having had sleepless nights before I came. <laughs> So it's it's actually funny that now looking back, um, and then I mentioned three plus uh, sleepless nights three times. Um, I would say it it had turned out fine. I'm now professor for something that I've ever actually never studied. Okay. And maybe you could use that to see maybe it's actually not worth the sleepless nights. 
And I, I think what matters is that whatever you do is your next step. Uh, you're convinced that you're doing the right thing, that you do it from your heart. And if you do it from your heart, you give your best, it will turn out well. Um, of course, if I now look back in my career and if, if I had decided at one of these crossroads to go for something else, today I would probably be doing something completely different, probably with just as much enthusiasm and engagement that I do now. So it probably doesn't matter if, if it <laughs> okay. comes from your heart. Um, that was actually very nice. That was reassuring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And your passion for biochemistry did it so did it arise in the water waste treatment plant well it, it now looking back of course there is connections between everything right mm. um microbes and we probably will discuss this later can also be used for um uh, for for environmental purposes they can uh, maybe contribute something to to the climate crisis so, so there is some something universal that that you see throughout my career but it has evolved and and i think this this is the good thing that whatever you decide now and, and do for a couple of years you can probably switch and and and, and move into a direction that you like no it's it's nice to hear that pivoting is possible that you can switch and change throughout your career yeah i actually never wanted to become a professor and really? that was never ever in, in in any of my career plan um uh, but it just happened. And the funny thing is, is if, if I now hire PhD students and postdocs, sometimes I ask myself if I would have hired myself <laughs> having been so without a, a clear plan of where I wanted to get it. Um, it's very interesting, especially like how the the reassuring bit that the inter interdisciplinary nature of some subjects doesn't stop it at university level. You can still practice that in in your work, uh, and you know have the opportunity to switch and go into a different field. Is even to myself, who I don't I don't study science, it's still very reassuring. So uh, yeah, and we probably I, I I think the of course we we say there is lifelong long learning, and I'm pretty sure there is. Yeah, you, you know I'm. Um, I'm learning every day, and we probably with the last topic of today, we'll also get back to this. Where um, even nowadays, I'm doing things that I've never done before, that nobody taught me how to do it, uh, but but we still do it. And we, um, I think if if we do it with our full conviction, with our full um, capabilities, the dedication mm -hmm. that we have, then then I think we can do basically everything. So general metabolism questions, some of which maybe were answered in the course, but for general listeners. Um, could you tell us a bit about the, the field of uh, biochemistry and metabolism right now? What is kind of on the cutting edge? Could you give us some examples? Maybe I start with saying what metabolism yes. is. <laughs> yeah? So in every cell of your body, there's many chemical reactions uh, happening. It's about 8,000 chemical reactions that happen at the same time that convert the food molecules, the, the nutrient molecules that you take up with, with, with your um, food uh, and supply you with, with energy, energy that you need to walk, energy that you need to think. About 25% of all the energy that you now produce is used in your brain, even though that your brain only uses 2 to 3% of your body mass. 
So this is uh, one, one um, task of metabolism to, is to provide you with energy and the other task of metabolism to provide, provide the building blocks that are needed to make new cells. Of course, also some, some cells of your body are, are, are being um, uh, regenerated. So this is metabolism. So you have to envision a terribly complex street map where all these reactions are connected. And uh, it's actually a pretty old topic. So about 100 years ago, um, researchers have been busy with deciphering all these uh, reactions, the intermediates, the catalysts that, that uh, convert these reactions. So it's an old topic. And for the last couple of decades, researchers have actually found and thought, oh, this is a boring topic because we know all things. I had researchers 100 years ago had studied this. So they, biologists, biochemists have, have looked for, for other challenges. But the funny thing is that now in the last couple of years, we're um, understanding more and more that metabolism is so basic, so important that it has wide range of implications for many diseases, um, cancer being one of them, so that researchers, scientists are coming back to metabolism and rediscover it actually and are now looking with new methods in, in understanding it better. So you've asked... Um, are th yes. Are, th are there any specific examples? So th this network of chemical reactions is, 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 a, is a network that connects chemical compounds, we call them metabolites. Mm -hmm. And uh, the nutrient molecules that cells take up are, are being funneled through this network chemical reactions. You could also look at it like streets, where cars are traveling through the street. You, of course, know that sometimes, uh, also when we talk about streets, there could be traffic jams, something, mm -hmm. and construction areas, um, uh, construction zones. And this is also what, what can happen in metabolism. And what is, for instance, uh, a huge challenge still is to experimentally map or determine where these metabolite flows, the flow of chemicals, uh, how this actually occurs through, throughout cells. So experimentally, this is a challenge. So that's why we also try to uh, perform computer simulations where we can simulate how these molecules travel through this network. And once we have mapped this, then there also needs to be a traffic control system. That's regulation that, that steers these metabolites through your body so that, that your metabolic networks are making the right amount of energy at the right amount of time. Um, so, so there's many challenges associated with this. And if you go one step further, and that's, I guess, also a topic that we'll be touching upon, is that we, as humans, would, for instance, like to redirect the traffic flow, mm -hmm. the flow of metabolites through this network. Because if we could redirect this, we could maybe uh, treat diseases, or if you do such flux redirection, as we call it, microbial cells, and we could use them as, as, as cell factories uh, if, towards a greener economy. Very nice. And just a little side note, is it ever overwhelming trying to understand such a complex system? When I when I first saw the kind of roadmap, you know, with all these metabolites, all these connections, it seems not futile, but it's so difficult to understand it properly. Yeah, no, it it, it is difficult, and I have to confess um, that um, 
I, I only know a fraction of this network. Mm. Um, as I, 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 I'm familiar with the principles and that, that's what we mostly use. Um, it can be overwhelming. Maybe what I should even confess that uh, when I teach this course, I sometimes have to remind myself before the day of the lecture of, of many of, of the details also. Um, but I mean, there are overarching concepts. You know, there is ways of understanding it, but just sometimes when you're faced with the complexity and how interconnected it is, it seems just so difficult. Yeah. No, I, I think the human brain is unable to... Uh, to computer to even think about uh, how, how this network operates and that's exactly also the reason why we use computer models mm. um, uh, so that we can compute what might happen instead of just think about it mm -hmm. so I, I think you're being also mentioned about uh, interdisciplinary or how mm. I, I got to this uh, and in fact uh, I told you that I've been brought up as an engineer and engineer are not bad with equations and that's actually something that helps me now also mm -hmm. that, that I can go back and, and use that um, in the work that I now do as a, as a biochemist or biologist. Very nice. Do you have any uh, research projects you're most proud of? Um, there, there's currently two that I'm that I really really um, like a lot. The one is uh, where we used microscopy uh, dynamic life cell microscopy where we observe cells under the microscope, we observe them growing and dividing, where we have been able to map to find out with a microscopic method that that metabolism over this growth and cell division cycle is even not constant, meaning that the traffic that we just talked about will change. Cells at certain moments throughout their growth and division cycle make different molecules at different moment. Um, so that's even yet another level of complexity mm -hmm. on top. And now we're we're trying to find out why this is actually the case, um, what, what the reason for that is. Um, we try to, we, we think that this might help actually the growth and division cycle um, from a biophysical point of view. So that that's something that I'm terribly proud of. Um, some uh, research line that we started about 15 years ago. The um, other aspect that I'm very proud of is that we have recently uh, uncovered that cells, metabolism of cells might be limited by an upper rate in the Gibbs energy dissipation rate. Now, this sounds, chemists, chemists physicists have heard this term, but it might sound, sound scary, but essentially boils down to if you think that metabolism cannot operate faster than a certain rate because it would otherwise damage cells. That has now uh, even ties to physics um, where really very fundamental physical principles surely apply also for metabolism, but it could even uh, be uh, explained why, for instance, cancer cells have a very peculiar type of metabolism. So you see um, even a, a topic that I, as I just mentioned, is 100 years old. There's so many more things to discover and it, it branches out into computer models, simulations on one side, 
physics on the on the other side um and yeah i, I think it's cool yeah it's the gift that keeps on giving apparently <laughs> even a mm -hmm. hundred years later you're still finding things out about it yeah so is this um, last one the thing that you're doing with your uh, research group in our research it came up uh, that uh, you're the head of a research group which is very interesting Yes, I, I, I have a, a research group with um, young PhD students and postdocs and master students, um, and together we work on, on these two questions. And uh, these are questions I, I just mentioned that are, are questions that, that go over years. Yeah? Very, very solve one question, and uh, once you're this one step further, there's probably two more, <laughs> two additional questions popping up, and then you go from one question to the other. Um, and if I now zoom back, this 15 years ago, um, would we, and compare it what we knew at that time with what we knew now, then, then we definitely have advanced. Even though sometimes for for master students and PhD students, of course their projects are smaller. They they sometimes feel like, yeah, what have we learned in this period of time? But it probably, yeah, research is slow, um, needs many years um, to really advance. And that probably goes back to, to, to your previous question, the complexity. Mm. Probably research on metabolism is slow because it's so yeah. complex. <laughs> it's just so interconnected. It's so interconnected yeah. with everything, yeah. yeah. And usually in, in biology, we're, we're, we're used to do a perturbation. You know, we, we delete a gene or add a drug to, to, uh, to see how metabolism, how the cell would respond. But with metabolism being interconnected with everything in the cell, some, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible, to introduce a perturbation that is very directed and only has that effect without any, any other, we call it pleiotropic effects. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes it sometimes hard to, to come up with experiments that, that really allow us to draw hard conclusions. Um, but that's also fun on the other side. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge. Yeah. Yes. I had a peek at your website and saw that you're quite prolific publishers. There's a lot of uh, research that comes out of your research group. Um, and I was mainly wondering kind of what's the process of getting that research out to the public or in, in a, a research journal for people to read? Because as you said, it, it's, it's small scale and it takes a long time. So, yeah. so even, even the publishing process takes a long time. So... Imagine a, a PhD student had worked on on, uh, on on a research question, and in my lab, it's, it's often that that one paper takes about four years of work. Um, then the manuscript is written up, then you submit it to a journal. Uh, then the first hurdle is that the editor of this journal sends it actually out for external review. Once this is passed, which is often already a, a hurdle. Then you wait for a couple of weeks, uh, get expert reviews back, and then you typically start to cry because <laughs> they didn't get it or um, you're terribly frustrated. Um, then you work on, the exper uh, on, on new experiments, uh, trying to fulfill their requests. And that could easily you just have one story which will come out in a couple of weeks um, for if you worked on the revisions for one and a half years. So one and a half more extra years and then it come out um i have to say there's other research fields where this progress uh, where, where the turnover is much faster uh there's research field where, where research publish a paper every six months or so in mine it's definitely slow so i guess the average time that it takes to publish a paper is about five years um, I, I i assume it's a very fulfilling conclusion to a research project though to see 
from, you know, little tiny organism that you can't actually see until you have, you hold a research paper in your yep. hands. I assume it's very fulfilling. Yeah. No, that, that's always a highlight. Once you see it in, in the nice layout as it will be published, um, to see it printed, uh, yeah, you're proud of. Could you Could you give us some examples of metabolism in kind of context we would understand so you mentioned cancer having a kind of uh, a connection to metabolism could you maybe tell us more yeah and, and another uh, a really connection that everybody can make with metabolism are um is beer it's a product <laughs> of metabolism it's um sauerkraut it's wine it's sourdough beer uh no not bre- <laughs> sourdough bread <laughs> Um, so, so there are many fermented products, uh, soya sauce being another one. Uh, they're all products of cellular metabolism. And in all these cases, microorganisms take up the sugar that is originally in this product. Yeah. Beer is made from, from a sugary solution, right? And, and, and uh, brewers' yeast will convert this sugar into ethanol, which we then enjoy. So... And that actually, we can make a link to uh, to uh, the story that I just mentioned, where we thought or where we found some indication that cells might experience a thermodynamic limit, is that the uh, beer as a product could just be the product of a thermodynamic limit of cells. Um, nice. That's a lot to sink in. Yeah, so know what you're drinking, kids. <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's the limit of cells. <laughs> yeah. Okay, maybe we can move on to the big project, Future Carbon NL. Could you tell us uh, about it and what it hopes to achieve? Yeah, I guess um, many of us are are concerned uh, about climate change and um, our research, uh, you probably just uh, can, can guess this, is we could use microorganisms, we could engineer their metabolism such they can convert a, a substrate, uh, um, a renewable substrate, uh, um, sugar, for instance, into a commercially interesting products, um, products that are nowadays still made from fossil resources, yeah, where we take carbon that comes from under the ground, dig it up and make products. For, um, if you just look on this table here, there's cables that are sitting in a plastic um, um, made of plastic, my watch is from plastic, maybe our clothes are all made with carbon that comes from under the ground. Well, and if you think about the end of the lifetime of these products, well, the, the chances, the odds that this is being incinerated is pretty high. And that means that this formerly underground carbon um, that has been oil will be emitted as carbon dioxide into the atmosphere with all the terrible consequences of this. We as humans, of course, need to to change, definitely need to change. We need to provide, uh, to generate our energy in a different way. Um, I think about windmills, solar parks, etc. I think this is under the way, even though it could be faster. But then even if you think one step further ahead and think about the products that we have and use, how are we going to make those in the future? Now, of course, we should recycle as much as we can, but I guess if you just look at your waste bin, you probably see the limits of recycling. Um, or if you envision, it's probably easy to envision the limits of recycling. 
Then another source would be that uh, we take, get carbon from bias biomass, which is, by the way, also a product of metabolism, where plants take the carbon dioxide from the air plus light as an energy source and make molecules with it. This is metabolism, right? But thinking about biomass and where it comes from and thinking, for instance, about this country here, which has really uh, a problem with very uh, intense agriculture, you probably also see that getting molecules from biomass also has its limits. And that means that, that uh, and, and because of this, um, several studies have shown that our societies in a post-fossil time will need to get to also a third way of how we make our products. And that is something uh, done with a technology that is called carbon capture and utilization, where essentially the carbon dioxide in the air will be captured and turned into products. Now, this is um, something where metabolism can also help. Uh, I, I mentioned plants that do this, but there's also bacteria, cyanobacteria, uh, that do this. They, they, they live in, uh, in, in, um, in an aqueous environment. They have uh, chloroplasts. These are organelles uh, that, that harvest light and um, um, convert this into sugar that then could be converted into other products. There's, by the way, a very nice startup uh, here also in the province of Groningen that, that uses uh, the, uh, this technology and, and tries to develop this further. Okay, so I have to, so I should now tell you why what, what this, this big project is about. This big, big project is a proposal for the Dutch Growth Fund, which is a part of money that the Dutch government has um, uh, set up uh, a couple of years ago. There's 20 billion euro in this part of money, which is meant to be spent... To, to increase uh, the economic power of, of, of the Netherlands. Parties, universities, companies can now submit proposals. And uh, together with, with a group of people, a group of companies, I put together a proposal where we aim to develop technology that will allow us to, uh, to harvest and reuse carbon dioxide as a resource so that next to recycling, next to bio-based uh, production, we'll also have, have a way to make our pr the products of our future in a, in, a, in a sustainable manner. Now, this is something that we hadn't done before. Uh, if, if there's chemists listen, then, then chemists will know that CO2 is, is sort of the energetically, essentially the, the, the least valuable compound. So we really have to invest a lot of energy to, to upgrade this carbon dioxide to make useful products out of it. Um, so this is the, the challenge. We need to new technology that makes, um, that simulates carbon dioxide into products in an energy efficient way, in a highly specific way, etc. This is technology that we want to develop in this, um, in this project. There's really fundamental research planned. There's... Um, also, demonstration plants, plant. I mean, demonstration means um, really chemical factories, the first of its kind. And with this, we would like to place the Netherlands as 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 the leading company in carbon tech, as we call it, yeah, technology that handles carbon. And it's um, really meant to be one of the solution. It's really a crucial technology that, that is needed for our societies 
to be able to hopefully stop with the use of fossil resources um, in a fast manner. Now, this in the first place has nothing to do with, well, it, it, it has some links with my research, um, but this is not why I have engaged or spent uh, the, the last eight months of my life in, in putting this proposal together, because I just felt that I had to do it. Uh, I, I thought there is an opportunity, or I think there is a great opportunity for this country, um, because we have excellent chemists, we have excellent um, biochemists um, that we're training also here in Groningen. Um, this is definitely needed to develop this new technology. We have a chemical industry still in this country, a chemical industry that needs to transform. Yeah, they, they need to reinvent themselves. But also our, our um, location here close to the North Sea will provide us with lots of amount of green energy that, we, that such carbon technology will, will need. So I just felt I, I had to use part of my energy, part of my, my ideas to, um, uh, to, to help this getting uh, going um, just that we can step away from this, uh, our addiction to uh, uh, fossil resources uh, in a fast manner. I am a huge fan of this project. I think it's really interesting. How, and, and a lot of students enter STEM, you know, with the with the ambition of being able to have a positive impact on things, the climate or environmental crises. What is it like now that you're there? You're, you know, p potentially going to have a huge impact if, if this all falls through. I, I, for me, it feels like a, a, that I get into a positive feedback. You know, it, it really had to, uh, cost enormous amount of energy. Uh, but if you then see that as a human being with convincing others with discussing with others with coming up with ideas that you can do things that feeds back on your energy that that you feel like yeah, that you can make a difference together with others and maybe this is also a nice tie back to um what i said at the beginning now in the last eight months i did something i've never done before this is a proposal for 1.4 billion euro Pocket change. <laughs> it's yeah, like a the, small economy. The, the biggest proposal that I've written up until then uh, was a proposal for, for three and a half million euro, and I felt this was already a big one. Um, I, I have to say, I didn't do this al al alone. Mm -hmm. uh, there were others. Um, we did this as a team. But I felt I, I, I grew during this, this exercise by doing things that I've never done before, by just using my internal compass. And I'd never never talked to any 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 um, policy makers from ministries, but I had sort of met them now every, every week, and they gave me a call. I called them, and you know, this, I've never been trained for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I I think this is what you also discussed before that just uh, you you learn as, as you go, and if you can do something with. Uh, that that gives you something back and and it gives you something back is really it gives me energy back that I feel like oh we as humans even as individuals can do things and accomplish things and this is great and that's something that I sometimes wished um, we had more that um, or oh well, as I mentioned before I'm, I'm terribly concerned about climate change uh, if I think about this I get sleepless nights also about this uh, probably rightfully so. And um, the way I, I, I handle my frustration or, or my, my um, 
my worries is I, I need to convert this into action. Um, of course, then you hear others, ah, what can you do as an individual? Uh, mm. It's just a drop on a, on a, they say it on a, on a, a on drop a, in the ocean. A drop Very in good. the ocean. But if you think about a drop into a lake on a windless day, you will see that this drop has an effect, right? Mm. And and that's how how I see it, that um, this this concentric rings. If you do things, the good things are typically also infectious, right? Um, um, we can convince others to also do the right thing. Then then we might make a difference. Yeah, I did. One one of my questions was um, if kind of the, the work you're doing for the environment kind of stays off your climate anxiety. We've talked about it on the podcast a couple of times where it just I think if you think about it too much, you will get sleepless nights like and kind of you, a loss of meaning in a sense of, oh, OK, well, my future's compromised anyway. So why, you know, why what does it matter? Um, but do you feel that taking active steps to sort of do your part, quote unquote, um, helps you process that? Climate anxiety. Yeah, th this is definitely how I I deal with it. Uh, that um, I, I, if, if I get into action, um, then it helps me because I can say, um, and it helps me because I'm I'm really convinced that even an individual starting, an individual talking about the good things, it ha will have an effect on other people around this person, and these other people, if they also get going. Yeah, so so this is what either the drop of in the ocean or the drop into a, a lake on on a windless day. <laughs> um, I, I, I tend to look at this at the second metaphor. Um, um, yeah. And um, is there ways for students to get involved in this, or to in any way like support or vote you on if, if possible? <laughs> yeah. No. Um, there, there's definitely um, it's it's now in the hands of a commission that um, uh, looks at these proposals, and there's many proposals that have been submitted. Uh, so the competition is fierce. I hope that the commission sees the value of this, uh, and not just the value for um, climate uh, for the climate question, but also the value that there's a chance for actually uh, earning money for for the Netherlands. Um, um, as mentioned, the, if this program comes, there's a, is a strong research component where new technology needs to be invented, uh, existing technology needs to be improved. Um, and this is where lots of brains, highly educated uh, people will be needed. And, and I guess we at this university are, are training the new generation. So this technology, th this program will run for 10 years. Um, so... I guess even for today's bachelor students, there there's room to uh, to contribute with 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 all their knowledge. Yeah, it's very op it's optimistic for me that there's not just jobs in the chemical industry, like for for Shell or for you know plastic companies. It's nice to see that there there will be options when you get out there. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, no, you mentioned Shell. Of course, these are these are the the, the classic. Yeah, the like how, the, the yeah. tankers, um, and probably also it's very very hard to uh, to steer. It's unfortunately probably very hard to to steer such a tanker in in in, in a better direction. Um, I, I guess that the more disruptive technology that um, 
they'll hopefully survive will probably come by 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 smaller companies um and there, yeah, indeed i mentioned just one uh, i didn't mention but there is there's uh, even in this province there's highly innovative chemical companies that that are picking up on this um, one question that was kind of it's a bit negative i'm very pro this project i i'm i'm very for it but could you could someone see it as kind of solving a symptom of the problem that you have these huge industries letting off carbon dioxide and we're going to fix it but you still need that carbon dioxide to to run your to make your sustainable version so you're kind of you, your starting material is a product of that industry how would it work when that industry shuts down yes you're fully right it's uh, if we would uh, harvest a carbon dioxide molecule at a chimney where, for instance, fossil carbon is burnt, um, then one would give this company sort of an excuse, you know, this, this, my, my exhaust CO2 is being reused. Um, um, this is a criticism that um, is... Um, brought about and, and connected with the term carbon capture and storage, where you would capture a carbon dioxide that comes out of a chimney and put it underground again. Now, what we are planning here is carbon capture and utilization. Um, at some point, and that's sort of the far-fetched end, is that we would like to get to harvest the carbon dioxide that is in the air yeah, to ideally uh, reduce this. Um, but on the way there... Uh, steps that we probably have to make is probably also first capture the carbon dioxide molecules that at high concentration at a chimney, develop the first generation technology with this, and as we go and as we make everything more um, more efficient, that at some point then capture the carbon dioxide from the 430 ppm in the air. So, so I think that that's sort of the perspective of, of, of technology development. But even if one would continue to capture carbon dioxide at the air uh, at, a, at a chimney and give this carbon dioxide a second life it will still be a saving that's true it's not floating around and doing nothing yeah you imagine you you have a piece of plastic you incinerate it and you capture this carbon dioxide and make a new plastic bag from it then it's cyclical. It's cyclical, nice. yeah. yeah. Um, but these are these are also here. There's complexity. This is complex. If you would have to trace uh, the, the 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 life of, of a carbon molecule, uh, carbon atom, and and where it came from and where it goes. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you would like to say about the project, or personal other personal projects? Yeah. I think one thing next to, to the research that I do um, and that I'm very proud of, uh, I think one thing that I would like to engage more um, is that I would like to see more startups coming up from the research that we do here. I think we have great people, highly educated, um, but I miss yet a bit the culture of setting up startups. Um, there's probably several reasons why why this is not happening as much as it could, um, but that's something that I um, like to develop a bit more. 
So I think from startups, uh, we will be able to see more disruptive technology to emerge than um, from the probably the, the classical uh, big companies. But that, that's something that I uh, would like to develop together with the faculty and, and the province to see whether we can do something here. Good luck with that. It sounds it sounds like it's it's going to pave the way, I'm sure, for, for better things, especially in the climate uh, yeah. part of things. So. Yes, I feel very optimistic after this conversation. It's that nice. is true. Thank you so much for your time. It was truly a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Um, we'll be back soon with another one. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Doei.